ahead, have a seat. Thanks for being here. My name is Ken. I get to be the campus pastor here. Uh, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, or you've just never filled out uh, a connection card, I'd love it if you took some time, did that. Uh, and then as soon as the kids are done being awesome up here, uh, you head out those double doors, and uh, we got a table to the left with a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thanks so much for making this part of your week. Uh, you mean a lot to us. And so we want to give you something that you can carry to your car as you head out that day to, to prove that, you know? Um, so... Let's see, next Friday, Friday is Christmas Eve. We're going to have a Christmas Eve service here. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Uh, It's our second time doing Christmas Eve here. Last year, we got a picture of that. It was a little bit different, uh, but this year will be very much indoors. And you'll be able to see Tim's face. Like all this is improvement over last year. So everything, yeah, that, that's how it is. So uh, where we've been the last few days, uh, last few Sundays, are we're going through a series called It's Not Your Birthday. Uh, and for, with the exception of one person who comes here, Christmas probably isn't your birthday. She put it on Facebook. She's like, hey, Christmas is actually my birthday. So what does this have to do with me? Um, <laughs> For the rest of us, Christmas isn't our birthday. It's not a day for us to just accumulate stuff. It's actually a day that reminds us, that reflects us, that pushes us toward the fact that one, God is in charge of everything, and two, that God uses all sorts of things in the world to draw us to him. And so today, we're going to look at one of those through one of the overlooked people within the Christmas story, and that person is a guy named Joseph. Like Joseph is there, he's faithful, he's obedient, he's powerful, he's strong, he's faith-filled through a bunch of different things. But usually all that we have that we were like think of about Joseph around this time is, is he's the male figure in the silhouette. Like that, that's his job. That's just what he does. But Joseph is gonna teach us four things. And we're gonna read them. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter two. You can go to your go there in your Bible or your app right now. We're gonna stick in this passage for the day. And this is where we we start to see Joseph's medal. We start to see who Joseph is and the journey that God is bringing him on, whether he wants to or not. Based on the situation that this guy finds himself in, there's going to be an insane amount of things that God leads him through. He faithfully takes care of him through that show us the way that God looks at you and me today. So it says this in Matthew 2, 13, it says, after the wise men were gone, these people who came from hundreds of miles away to see baby Jesus, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Stop right there. So this is not the first time that an angel has showed up to Joseph. The first time an angel showed up to Joseph, he said, I know you've got these great plans. You're engaged to a young lady named Mary. Here's the thing abstinence being always effective doesn't really work in her situation, okay? Because she's pregnant, she's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And now you're gonna take this woman who's pregnant with a baby that didn't come from you and you're gonna marry her. And he's like, all right, this sounds weird. And so he had to be convinced. Again, it's this repetition of an angel showing up to Joseph and says, your world is about to get thrown into a blender and you're going to be okay with it. It's like, all right. So the angel shows up and he says to Joseph, he says a message that's going to change his life. And I think the first thing that we see from the, from the life and the legacy of Joseph is that if you're not dead, you're not done. That, that works for all of us for all time. If you're not dead, you're not done. Joseph had already, he's got a bigger resume than most of us will ever have. He's already radically stepped out in faith to do what God has called him to do. What most of us would look at and we'd say, that, 
No, I, I don't, I don't, there's no way that this could be a good thing. But God says, you're going to marry this girl and you're going to raise this baby. He had already done this. And so I look at that and I think like, shouldn't this be enough? Shouldn't Joseph be able to say, hey, I'm already married to the woman that you told me to marry and it was at great personal cost to me. Shouldn't this be enough? I think the lesson for us right here, the first lesson that we see from Joseph's obedience is that past obedience in your life and mine, past risk, past, hey, when I was six, I did that thing, no longer takes us off the table for men and women who God can work through. This is something for us every day. For those of us who are Jesus followers, there's a following, there's an action that comes into that and not just believing and have some, having something hidden in your heart. God says, if you're actually following me, there's gonna be action, there's gonna be decisions, there's gonna be things in our lives that reflect the fact that God is in charge of you and me. And what happened last week, what happened last year, doesn't mean you're done. Just because you obeyed me there doesn't mean that you're off the table here. What that also means is that just because our past might be more broken, more busted up, more crooked, more stories to tell, more things that we have to list on a resume than we would want to think about, also doesn't mean that we're not done. Also doesn't mean that God looks at us and says, whoa, that person is damaged goods. I can no longer work through them. It's a daily reminder that if we're not dead, we're not done. That's something for all of us every day. Every crazy accomplishment that people make inside and outside of the Bible or inside and outside of spirituality, all of these things start with a daily decision to say, I'm gonna do something radical once. And then it turns into twice. And then it turns into three times. Then it turns into a month. And then it turns into a year. Lives get built on daily decisions to not do what's easy for us, not do what's normal. And so right away in the life of Joseph, we see if you're not dead, you're not done. So what's he say? The angel that, showed, that appeared to Joseph, it says, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod, the guy who was in charge at that time, is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. I'm going to put all of us in here on this one. We would love to follow God if it was like this. If God shows up and he says, hey, today I want you to wear black shoes, blue jeans, and that orange shirt, and I want you to go to work, and I want you to talk to the person that sits next to you. I want you to talk to them at 10.05, and at 10.07, I want you to get up and get a cup of coffee. We could do that. Like, that's totally clear. We would love to follow a God like this. So... 20 years ago, a movie came out called Minority Report. Uh, I loved it. I watched it. And that was like the end of my movie watching days. Because after that, got married to Anna. When you're married, there are things you can do other than watching movies. Uh, and then soon after that, hey, my mom's over there. Hi, mom. Um, soon after that, Eden was born. Related. Uh, and Eden didn't sleep. Like, she's got no busted up emotions about this, uh, but she was the worst baby ever. So uh, if we were ever to sit still in a dark room for two hours, we'd spend there like eight hours because we would have fallen asleep. So all the movies that I know about happened about 20 years ago, unless it's Star Wars or Frozen. That's my life. So... <laughs> 
We're going to watch a clip and you think, why is the technology on this so terrible? Because it's 20 years ago. It's not the projector. It's 20 years ago. This is the God that we would love to follow. Media team, let's roll tape. Can you see the umbrella? Take it. Take it! in a blue suit. He drops his briefcase. You see a woman in a brown dress. She knows your face. Turn in here. Take the East End. Everyone else, follow me. Let's go. He knows. Don't go home. We've got eyes on. Be working with their... that clean for us. And you heard the, the guy in the alley say, Lord bless you. So this is clearly a Christian Christmas movie. So we're good. <laughs> it's not always like that, but, but just like with the life of Joseph and in our lives too, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. In reality, like this, this still wouldn't work for us because persuasion and instruction and mandates don't generate heart change. What generates heart change in us is what we see after the disaster is caused by our delayed obedience that we actually change. And it shows us that obedience isn't always smooth. That's the third thing from Joseph. Obedience isn't always smooth. Joseph took Mary to be his wife. And he took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. That's a 500-mile trek on foot. And now it's time for them to do something different. They've gone to Egypt, and now it's time for something different. 
Next section. It says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. The Winian learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus. He was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Heart change affects obedience. Like the reason that it was a, seems easy for Joseph to go wherever he was sent was because there was a pattern there that affected his heart. There was a pattern there that changed the way that he saw God, understood God, and his heart was now behind the obedience. And that's the truth for us, man. God's after more than just blind obedience in you and me. He's after our hearts. That, that's what guides and pushes and dictates so many of the things that are central to following Jesus. Why do we tithe? Why do we give away 10% of our money? It's because God's poor and he needs you and me. We're working our jobs to, to try and make ends meet. No, it's because he wants us to get used to giving things away. And tithing preps our hearts. It prepares our hearts to be open-handed with everything. It's a heart issue before it's anything else. And that means that we can follow Jesus through when, follow Jesus when obedience isn't smooth. So, so far, Joseph has married the outcast. He's moved the outcast and their baby 500 miles on foot. Before that, he told his very pregnant wife, hey, you're going to get on a donkey. We're traveling 65 miles to a different town to see my family. <gasps> that would be rough. <laughs> and now they're moving back. So here's the thing, is it says that when they moved back from Egypt, they moved to a place called Judea. And we just look at that and say, okay, that's a place that, that is in the Bible. I know how to pronounce it because we talk about it often. But where is this? Media team has a map. Let's put this up. So uh, if Egypt is down by the Christmas tree, okay, they're walking up. And the first place in Israel where God told them to move back to is Judea. And so they stop there, probably because they're exhausted. But also because Judea down there in the bottom isn't that yellow section up there at the top that says Galilee. Judea was easy for them to get to physically, but also easy for them to be at emotionally because no one knew them. At this point, obedience was easy. They can just go, they can blend in, they can be small people in a big city and no one knows them. And then God says, no, you need to go to Nazareth. And the reason that that means something isn't for Bible trivia jeopardy, but that's because Nazareth is where they were from. Nazareth is where Mary lived in a strict religious community and became pregnant before she was married. Nazareth is where Joseph lived. And Joseph, in front of everybody in town who was already given Mary the side eye, stood with her and married her. Nazareth is where they were gossiped about. Nazareth is where the rumors started. Nazareth is where, despite the 65 miles pregnant on horseback, Nazareth was a nice place to leave. But God called them back there, and so they went. I think the question for us is, is, okay, God, do I trust you enough to follow you into this situation? God, do I trust you enough to see that you're going to repair my marriage, my relationships, my, my role as a parent, my role as a son or a daughter? Do I trust you to follow you in obedience beyond the point where it's smooth? Do I trust you to do what you tell me even when that looks difficult. 
So uh, years ago, I was 19, um, and I was working at a church down in Southern California where I grew up, uh, and we were going to go to this big, su- like, big summer camp thing, uh, nationwide thing with all the churches in our church family and all that stuff. Uh, and there are two things that I really enjoy, like even still today, like shepherding, just the being with people and, and leading them spiritually, like Thursday morning shape group, 6 a.m. in the cafe, like that, that, I love that because it's just normal people reading the Bible saying, this is how it hits me today. This is where I need God in my life today. I'll do that type of stuff till I die. Always have, always will. And I also like being useful. Like that, just, you come here early on a Sunday. I do all my sermon prep, get that stuff out of the way, do shape early. And then it's just going around getting stuff ready for here because I like to be useful. Shepherding, useful. That's me. So the, the thing is, is to be a counselor at this camp, you had to be 21, which makes sense. Because if you've got a bunch of high schoolers thousands of miles away from home, you don't want high schooler plus six months like being their, their supervision. That's how people end up on the news. So the thing is, is I wasn't 21. I was 19. So my, my boss and I had a conversation and he's like, yeah, I just put your 21. It's fine. You live in a certain amount of shelteredness when lying about 21 has to do with church. But that was me. Um, came home and I tell my mom, hey, this is what we're going to do. And, and mom, who this is already my notes. I didn't change this because she's here. Said, you can't do that. You're, you're lying to go lead people spiritually. You're lying to be a Christian, lying to to do this. Did, Did this not make sense? And I was 19, so it didn't make sense. So I, I said, okay, I, I'm not going to be a counselor. I'm going to work for the camp. I'm going to be around nobody that I know, none of the people I've been pouring into spiritually. I'm going to travel two-thirds of the way across the country to work at a skate camp because I'm obedient, because I'm not going to lie. So the thing is, is that God knew that at that skate camp, I was going to meet people whose stories were going to shape my life. That when God said, Ken, for the rest of your life, you're going to tell hurting people about me, the faces and the names behind that story were people that I met at the skate camp. Would I have known them if I penciled in, yes, I am 21. I was born not in 1981. I was born in 1979. Everything's fine. I'm totally 21. I never met them. God uses unsmooth, uneasy, difficult obedience to get his stuff done, which he would get done in otherwise, but also to shape you and me, also to change you and me, also to get our hearts used to, once again in one more area, living open-handed before God to accomplish the things through us that he wants to accomplish. Obedience isn't always smooth. And I think the last part about that for people here is, is man, if, for us who think if life should be easy, I'm doing everything that Jesus tells me to do. Eventually, everything's gonna turn around. Sometimes it doesn't. And the good news in that is that God uses the busted up, difficult, hard things in our lives to shape us to be more like him and to show us your joy isn't in saying, hey, I'm 21 so I can hang out with the people that I want to, but say, okay, I'm gonna do what's not smooth, what's not easy, what's difficult, what will hurt my goals long-term because God's goals for us are bigger. Because God's plans for us are bigger. God's ability to give us joy and to speak to our hearts are better than anything that we can come up with on our own. And lastly, God uses his people's obedience to rescue the world from sin. 
couple weeks ago, we had a family night and, and we encouraged people to get this Jesus Storybook Bible. Just so many stories uh, in the Bible written for kids. And so we're reading it with, with our kids at, at uh, 13, 12, and 8. And we're like encouraged everyone to, to do the same. And one of the phrases that's in there all the time is, is when they talk about God's plan to save the world, the, re- the wording that they use is God's rescue plan. And this thing about God's rescue plan is that it's built on the obedience of men and women that God puts into the world. One of those is Joseph. Joseph, who keeps moving his family all around in difficult situations as God leads him. And so the last thing in the story, it says this, this fulfilled, Jesus moving to Nazareth, this fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. And so we read it and we're like, yes, Jesus, the Nazarene, the first Christians were from the group called the Nazarenes. Everything's special. Back in that day, Nazarene wasn't special. Nazareth was a place that you would go through if you're coming from somewhere else. So in our world, Nazareth is Kettleman City. (laughs) This is Jesus of Kettleman City. Yawn, ignore the call, right? Like that's where we are. Kettleman City is calling I don't need to update the warranty on my car. I'm fine. Nothing from Kettleman City other than Starbucks and a bathroom is worth anything, right? If you're here from Kettleman, we love you. It's not your fault. (laughs) Beyond that, Nazareth was right next to an army outpost. So when soldiers would get released from duty and they needed to go blow off some steam, they'd go to Nazareth. So not only is it useless, it's sinful. So Jesus, the Nazarene, was basically saying Jesus from the Kettleman City Strip Club. And if you have a problem with that, you've missed the beauty of Jesus. Because the reason that this makes sense is because God moved into the world and took the lowest place possible. Other than bathroom and Starbucks, is there anything good from Kettleman? No, but that's where Jesus decided to live. And the reason was, is so that for 2,000 years, everyone who hears the mission and the message of Jesus the Nazarene knows that they're not too busted up for the guy who came from the Kettleman City Strip Club. Knows that their life isn't too broken for that God to restore. Knows that things aren't too far gone for God to be able to come in and put them back together. So Christmas isn't our birthday. What it is, is it's the birthday of God who put on human skin and moved deep into our world to pull everyone with a pulse into a relationship with him. He came on a mission of love. He came on a mission knowing that all of us would have sin in our lives that pushes us, that races us away from God who loves us. And so God took on flesh in Christmas, moved in the world to save us from our sin and bring us into relationship with Jesus if we would make the decision to say yes to that. That's our first act of obedience to God is to allow him to save us from our sin. And then everything else from that follows. Even when it's difficult, even when we think we're done, even when we've delayed it in the past, and even when we think we are too messed up to be part of God's rescue plan, he calls us into obedience. Let's stand and pray.